name is Robbie Hamblett. My background is in eSIM engineering. I'm the CEO and one of the co-founders of Teal. Hi, I'm Sudhir Reddy, head of engineering at Esper, and this is There's a Device for That. Today, I have the pleasure of talking to Robbie Hamlet, who's the co-founder and CEO of Teal Communications, who are in the business of providing communication mechanisms to all the Internet of Things, IoT networking solutions that are being built out there in the world. That includes mobility, robotics, industrial IoT, ag tech, defense, and on and on and on. So without further ado, Here's Robbie and my discussion with him. So I worked on some very early connected car projects. And that is where I saw the problem that I wanted to solve with Teal, which is how do we get one device onto as many networks as possible? And we want to do it without utilizing roaming as much as possible. So that is a very quick rundown of myself and Teal. Yeah, and a pleasure meeting you, Robbie. And I've, uh, you know, I've been in the consumer side of this where I keep hearing about on my phones, I should get an eSIM now, and many phones are enabled for eSIM. So yeah. it's, a, it's a world I don't know much about, but I'm looking forward to hearing and learning about it. Yeah, eSIM is very funny. There's a um, lot of misconceptions about what it is, what it does, what can it enable, and lots of different people pretending to offer a certain type or level of solution of eSIM. And what's really fascinating to me is how, as the world gets taken over by the Internet of Things, IoT, and the need for all of these to be connected and all of these to be able to work together and just be seamless with the whole thing and how you're doing your part in bringing all of that together and making all of that happen. So I want to get into that. But before we go there, I wanted to start with just asking you a quick, what brought you into technology? What made you come into eSIM? Well, I always kind of had a passion for mobility. Growing up, my dad worked for AT&T for a very, very long time. And so he always got these these test devices from the device team. I got to kind of play around, tinker with them and yeah, really liked devices that let you root them, let you play around with them. And even some devices that didn't at all. I was a big fan of BlackBerry, rest in peace. So <laughs> anyway, from being like kind of born with a cell phone given to me right, right away, I became very passionate about mobility and telco in general. And I am one of those, I'll admit that I used to love the BlackBerry when it was out and I, you yeah. can find me without one. I had a key too until last year. So I had that Android one and then they stopped doing security patches and it became a risk on our business insurance as a company to even carry one around. So I tried out iPhones again. Like I hadn't had an iPhone since I like waited in line for the iPhone 5 back when people used to wait in line for iPhones. I think maybe people still do that, but maybe not the last couple cycles. I'm sure there's some stragglers for sure. But now I have the Galaxy Fold and that's pretty fun. It's the first time a phone's felt different in a while. All right, here's another question for you based on what you just said. What was your first non-phone gadget that you really fell in love with? Oof, like just like a laptop. Does it, I had a netbook that uh, was an, another like telco equipped netbook. It was a 3G equipped Acer Aspire 1 and it ran Windows XP and it tried to do it in like a 10 inch screen package and with like a half gig of RAM. So it was basically impossible. <laughs> like a single core atom processor. And that's how I got really involved with tinkering things because the only way to do anything on it was to put Linux on it. So that was fun. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fascinating. I'll date myself by saying the first non-phone, and this was before phones were even a thing, 
Mm-hmm. I had a, a computer that had two floppy drives, and it took two five-and-a-half-inch floppy drives in there. One ran the operating yeah. system, and the other ran Excel. That's where I started. Yeah. And what device do you use the most today? I used to use tablets, but now I have the Galaxy Fold, and that replaces a lot of the tablet functionality while still being a phone at the same time. So I'm a fan of that. Now, if they sold a black, a new BlackBerry, I'd probably get that just because the keyboards are, are very addicting. But, you know, I do that in a, in a laptop, and that's, that's most of my day for sure. Non-work-related gadget? Everything's work-related. When you're a CEO, you can't really separate the two. So. No gaming, um, no, no... Oh, I have an Xbox, yeah. I, I play Destiny 2 sometimes. That's a, another Bellevue kind of local yeah. company. But not yeah. a ton. I don't really have a, a whole a lot of time. I do watch a, a Kenobi series. That's, that's been interesting if you guys have watched that. Um, it's on my list to watch. It's on your list, yeah. Just like you, it's all about work. When I get like the yeah. 10 minutes, I just go sit and <laughs> don't do anything. Yeah, like our company has a lot of offices all over the place. So there's, I mean, nine to five is just what the West Coast is doing. And then Bangalore wakes up and then Kampala wakes up and like all the other offices start to start to have yeah. activity. And Yeah. So I want to start talking, Robbie, about I know that you're looking for eSIMs to take over the world. You're in the IoT for networking, for mobility, for robotics, for health tech, for ag tech, everything. And you bring all of those. The commonality there is all of these devices that are out there doing various things and that need to talk to each other. So what's your solution and how did you innovate on the solution? How did you come up with the idea and the thought and how did you productize it? Yeah, I mean, we connect anything to the internet that isn't like a personal computing device. So no laptops, phones, those sort of things right now. A little bit with private networks, it's starting to become more and more of a thing. But so my experience was with eSIM or at an early stage for eSIM's life. So eSIM has been around for like a decade and it hasn't really fulfilled that promise that people thought it would, which is giving you know control over the network access and the flexibility of it to whoever is possessing that device whoever controls that device so in iot that translates to like the car manufacturer most of the time or even the consumer of the car and seeing these solutions get built i saw the rules that people wanted to to play by with eason the true functionality of like switching between operators and not just switching between roaming networks that had to have a very high barrier of entry for the carriers to you know, really want to do it and for the solutions to essentially have enough skin in the game to make it worthwhile to them. So you know, GM could build an eSIM platform and Daimler could build an eSIM platform. But when we worked on both those projects, they were kind of isolated from each other. So all the work we were doing with the carriers and with the solution providers wasn't benefiting the broader market. And I thought, wow, what, I mean... Most people today are using these MVNOs like Twilio, Soricom, uh, Hologram, these kind of folks to access these networks. And they're just taking this international identity and then roaming into the network as opposed to accessing the network natively, like taking the same identity you would if you were an AT&T user and using that, you're using a Jersey Telecom MZ or a KPN MZ or something like that. So I wanted to solve roaming. And I wanted to bring those rules where GM seemed to be able to overcome those barriers and bring those out to, to everybody. So to do that, you have to work around the SIM technology aspect of the equation, which is like similar to the towers. And there's only a certain number of radio equipment manufacturers, you know, the Nokias, the Ericsson's, those kind of folks. There's a small number of players that are trusted with carrier access technology and these, these kind of uh, eSIM platforms. And so there's 
really only like five of them. So there's like Idemia, Jamalto and Talis, uh, GND, uh, Keegan and Valid. And uh, none of them are based in North America. None of them are selling a model that connects people to networks. They're selling something that becomes its own bespoke project. So GM buys a platform, then they buy their carriers. And so with Teal, we wanted to raise venture capital. We wanted to build a company to integrate the carriers into a solution. And then when we do it once, everybody gets them. So all of our you know, hundreds of enterprises, if you're a water meter company with 500 lines, you get the same level of network access as a General Motors without having to build your own individual project to do that. That's fascinating. So you're trying to bring almost a federated world where everyone has their own little pie and you're trying to bring it all and make it so that anybody can use the networks out there without having to go into roaming and probably pay extra bills if I'm reading into that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's cost reasons, there's performance reasons, and then there's like just data legislation in general. Like if you get a SIM card from AT&T today, it can't work in Brazil. Like it's just illegal for that thing to roam in Brazil. You have to use a Brazilian card. And as the world gets bigger and smaller at the same time, roaming and data legislation becomes more and more important. Where a user is and what identity it's using and what rules it has when it's in that network starts to matter a lot. And they just won't accept a U.S. identity in a Brazilian network anymore for any longer than a month. So the only feasible solution, if you're a solution provider, is to buy an eSIM platform from one of those legacy technology providers and then pay AT&T and pay Brazil to both integrate into it. Or you could work with something like Teal. We've already done all the work to integrate Brazil for you. Your identity is going to swap and you're going to have access to as many different network cores as possible. And that's a big difference between us and what, say, an MVNO would offer. Awesome. Awesome. So tell me about what's the unique solution you're bringing to market? What would a customer look for when they're either building a device or they're buying some devices and need connectivity? Yeah. I mean, connectivity is really important to IoT devices. And the best way to access a network is to just go straight to that network, right? Like that's going to be the best performance possible, likely the best economics. Sure, it's a little difficult to get talking to the right person in the right volume and that sort of thing. And Telco has a lot of like backroom steak deals involved with its deals, little dinner meetings and stuff. But that is the best way to access the network. What Teal is adding, though, is the ability to access multiple networks through one solution. So you're only doing one API integration. You're getting access to all of the networks all at once, as opposed to trying to carve out a little space with each one. And we're doing it in a way that puts the eSIM technology first. So all of our experience and all of our R&D goes into the credentialing system. We're the only company in North America with our own code base for eSIM. We're rapidly iterating on it. When we update the platform, everybody gets an update to it because it's cloud-based. We're not doing these little bespoke solutions, you know, one-offs for each individual customer. Everybody's kind of collectively benefiting at the same time. So we're enrolling people into networks. We're not providing an eSIM solution that is only enrolling people into our networks. It's still an eSIM that you can program and add your own network relationships and configurations into if there isn't already rules to play by there. So yeah, that's what Teal does. That's awesome. Can you give us an example of a great customer who's been using this and maybe some even unique devices that they're using this for and unique solutions that they're bringing to the market? Yeah, one of the cool ones that just dropped was Starship. So they're a delivery drone company that rolls around on the, on the floor. So instead of flying things around, they roll them because it's a lot more energy efficient to do it that way. And there's, you know, 
pretty well catalog mapping assets to, to do that. But they were looking at single network solutions because they were like, well, let's try to do like just AT&T. They tried that, found a lot of coverage areas where Verizon would work better or T-Mobile would work better. And instead of working with an MVNO, they worked with Teal because they found that they were able to program the networks. They're also able to upgrade into private network environments. That's something that's becoming a thing in enterprise where we certainly don't want to stop people from creating their own private network experiences. That would be like a campus that rolls out CBRS networks. I don't know if you guys have talked to anybody on the show about this, but it's kind of a replacement for Wi-Fi, but with more capacity and more control. So if you're doing IoT, you know you don't really want to use grandma's Wi-Fi network. You want to use something that has different feature packages and compute and more resources available to it. And these private networks are becoming a thing. So if you're building an IoT device, you can switch between those private networks and the public networks if you're using a truly neutral solution like Teal. That's awesome. And for you, the listener out there, I think you heard several amazing innovative technologies that Robbie just talked about, not just with the eSIM that Teal's working on, but also the networks, private networks, and how IoT devices are starting to use that because plain old Wi-Fi is not enough for these, as well as I was fascinated by the robotics examples that you use there. I'm a robotics engineer myself by training, and anytime somebody says robots, my eyes light up. Yeah, Industry 4.0 is really, really exciting right now, especially in this country where supply chain and um, industrial is becoming so important to like how we work through supply chain issues and how we can do things faster, deeper, better, <laughs> that whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to um, go a different direction because I think I understand the solution that you're offering, but I'm really interested in also, you know, you gave me some background about your, your telecom side, how you, while you were growing up, you were, but what makes you innovative? What made you think of, hey, I can go solve this problem for the world and I can do it in a new, unique way? I mean, naturally, I think I'm pretty entrepreneurial. I think it was kind of coached in, a, in, in people that are entrepreneurial. It's definitely coached at a young age. Like, you know, you can go do that. That's, a, that's possible. A lot of achievement is just persistence and having that motor. I think everybody serves growing up to be told that they can do it and that they can go after their their highest of goals but no for me like so i'm entrepreneurial but i'm a technologist and i really like seeing new technologies new things happen like if i was just an entrepreneur working on like another different kind of backpack and i'm trying to make a backpack strap five percent better it would be of questionable worth to humanity if that was worth my time and would i really feel rewarded from doing so you're working on a really cool backpack i'm sorry everybody it just wouldn't be something that drives me with iot like everything is eventually going to get networked this data is valuable to somebody it's just that the economies of scale haven't always caught up the transport costs haven't always caught up like just knowing whether or not a window is open in a building is valuable to somebody right be it the energy company be it the, the person that sells windows but are they willing to pay 30 dollars a month to connect each window to the internet Probably not, but maybe they would buy a solution where a drone flies off the roof and, and takes a picture and makes sure that they're only cleaning the windows when they have to. And that's reducing energy costs. That's reducing uh, labor costs and, and work for everybody. Maybe they'll pay 10 bucks a month for that drone to fly by. I don't know. There's lots of really cool models that come about when you connect more and more things to the internet. So we're seeing new things every day. And that's, that's really cool and very rewarding. The other thing is just like, 
we see a lot of data move through the network that, that likely wouldn't have been able to move through the network if they didn't have access to this network at this time. And by just making these things more accessible to people, we're driving more innovation. So that company that built a really cool product in San Francisco can now ship it to Brazil, whereas before they wouldn't be able to, or it would take them another year longer. Just moving things faster, seeing new things. That's what really drives me to be persistent, to pursue this path and innovate on the space. Yeah. Yeah. And what about your leadership traits? What do you hold dear to yourself when you're building a company? You have employees, you talk to customers or prospects and things. What are some of your leadership skills there? Communication is very important when you're in a leadership position, right? Like people don't want to just have somebody do something because they say so. Every conversation, every decision we make as a team, I like to say, like, if I can't articulate my position on this well enough for you to understand it, then I either don't have a very good position or, you know, I'm not doing a good job communicating. And so I try to make sure everybody understands every high level decision we make as a company. Staying calm in times of crisis is good, you know, kind of rolling with the punches. People don't really like to see the captain of the ship shaking <laughs> as you're driving through enemy fire or taking out water or something. You want to know it's going to be okay. And that can kind of get you out of your own way at times too. And just being pragmatic, that's a, that's a big thing. Like if a customer is having an issue, being pragmatic about addressing their issues and what you can actually practically do for them and accomplish rather than saying, we'll try to do this or... Yeah, we'll architect this larger solution that we may or may not actually pull off just to try to make somebody happy. You have to be pragmatic with your resources and the solutions that you chase. Thank you. I think those are very well articulated. Speaking of communication. Thanks. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's definitely my first company. So I'm learning a lot as I go. You know, every milestone that we have is the first one for me. So everyone has a first company. And I think yours is an extremely successful one by the looks of it. One question that I thought I'd ask is, as you're talking about millions and millions, if not billions of devices that this world is connecting to and will be connecting to in the future, security is a huge part of that infrastructure. So what are you building into the product? What do you think people are thinking about out there in terms of in infrastructure security, for lack of a better term? Security can be a tough sell. There are a lot of people that just look at things and the status quo monetization of that service is all that matters to them is dollars and cents. A lot of people don't care about security until there's a known exploit. And so investing in R&D that pushes security forward, you really have to be measured as far as what you push for. Like there's a product that a lot of people aren't aware of called IoT Safe, which is the storage of application certificates inside of an EUICC environment. So much like on your laptop, when you boot it up, there's a TPM chip and that's going to secure your boot keys so that it's not stored on the actual thing that you're booting. It's like a second check on the technology. It's, it's hardware security. People inside of IoT devices frequently just do a pre-shared key stored in the operating system for the initial TLS handshake between that device and their server. You could store the certificate in the EUICC, but are people really exploiting that initial handshake enough for the effort that our customers would go through in order to adopt a feature like that. So we've built it in, but it's not really ordered ever. <laughs> like, I'll be honest, like we don't have any customers that actually take advantage of that. So learning from that, you kind of have to be sure that customers are willing to pay for security within IoT and just how big really is that hole? Because you can move to zero trust, but that itself is not going to cover probably all the social engineering that you could do to get around that anyway. 
So it's funny. I'm, I'm pretty conflicted sometimes on IoT security. I think cellular IoT in general is pretty secured compared to Wi-Fi or LoRaWAN or Bluetooth or even satellite, where there isn't even like a handshake that occurs a lot of times. We certainly did architect out uh, SMS, which is a trust-based network built in the 70s. I mean, SS7 networks, they just, it's like sending your passwords on a postcard through the mail and hoping nobody reads them in the middle versus like, you know, TLS being an encapsulated packet. So you're, you're sending it in an envelope. So yeah, IoT security, it's, it's interesting. Like the features, you can publish them. They probably don't make a buying decision out of it until there's a known exploit, but we certainly do a lot thinking about these problems and adding and contributing where we can. Yeah, that's the interesting thing I learned out of that is finding the balance of how far is too far versus what's more practical that customers are willing to pay for. And you have this unique position of not just looking at security among all your customers, but just looking at all the innovation that's happening in your customers. Very similar to we at Esper, where we enable so many devices out in the world and we see so many innovations going on. Examples that come to my mind are people are creating robots that automate kitchens for fast food restaurants. What are some of the things that intrigue you when you see, look at your customers and what they're building? And it was like, ah, oh, that's a cool use of a device or that's a cool innovation. Yeah. The one I've been talking a lot about recently is Carbon Robotics. They're on Aurora in Seattle. I don't know if you guys know those folks. They do, um, it looks like a Zamboni that's been retrofit with lasers and it drives across agriculture and using computer vision identifies pests and weeds and stuff. And without using pesticides, then shoots lasers at them to vaporize the pest or the weed. So it's a more organic product at the end, but it's an IoT solution because it's autonomous, just rolling over. It's using computer vision that guide the lasers. Really, really cool. I just love seeing different things every day because like yeah. that's that's not just another GPS tracker, right? Like that's a new use case. It's a new thing. And a very unique way of uh, solving the bug problem. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, their business model, I don't, I'm not sure how they'll solidify it, but you rent the Zamboni. I mean, I'm going to keep calling it a Zamboni, even though it's definitely not a Zamboni, but do you rent it? Do you, um, you sell it one off? There's just a lot of innovation that's going to happen in that business model. I mean, when you can dial a robot and, and have it do whatever kind of thing you want to do. So a lot of IoT is becoming robotics and interfacing with the physical world. What would traditionally just be like a sensor? What action are you going to take? If the temperature is over this amount, um, HVAC systems, those are getting digitized. Autonomous vehicles, cars, or everybody knows what's going on there. There's lots of, lots of interesting stuff. And who knows, maybe that example of a backpack you used is also a connected device that, that does things. Hey, I mean, if, if you're working on a connected smart backpack, you know, I think that might be worth your time. But um, if you're just making the strap 5% more comfortable, I don't, I don't know if I'd work all day on that. <laughs> So, Robbie, thanks for talking to us. You know, the, I see so many similarities between the world you're building or the product you're building as well as what we do here at Esper. Both of us have the common vision that we are solving device problems for other customers who are innovating on their own and using devices to do various things, whether it's IoT or whether it's a tablet sitting on a desk somewhere, etc. Lots of great learnings. And I'm sure, given that we're in the Pacific Northwest and the, in the Seattle area, we'll have a lot of uh, yeah. additional things to talk about. So any additional things that you'd like to say for the viewer that's listening, as well as if they want to connect with you and talk about their solutions or just hang out, what would you say to them? 
If you really want to learn more about telco, you know, my email inbox is always open. I love tough questions. I love figuring out what other people's understanding is of the market and seeing if I can contribute in some way or gain a new insight about how people are viewing it. So we're a very friendly bunch of teal. So if you ever want to come by, we have a seltzer on tap, San Juan Seltzer, which is a Pacific Northwest brand. Yeah, we'll throw parties like every Friday and everybody can come over. No. But uh, no, I'm really thankful you had me on the show. And if you want to get in touch with us, LinkedIn, email Robbie at tealcom.io would work. Twitter, we have a very small Twitter, so that would work too. But yeah. Yeah. And you're tealcom.io on Twitter and Robbie on LinkedIn. You can look him up. It's fascinating what you're doing in the eSIM world. And I love this chat with you and I look forward to talking to you again soon so that we can exchange notes again. Yeah, likewise. Definitely going to keep on keeping up with Esper and what you guys are working on. That's 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 very exciting too. So uh, thanks again. Well, there you have it, folks. Not only is there a ton of innovation being done in the world of devices and new types of devices, but there's also innovation in how these devices communicate with each other and what they can accomplish when you have a single technology that can communicate with all the various networking technologies out there and the network providers out there. This is There's a Device for That, and you can get a new episode every Tuesday anywhere you subscribe to your podcasts. Please be sure to subscribe. There's a Device for That is brought to you by Esper, the industry's first and leading DevOps platform for device fleets. If you're interested in learning more about how Esper can help you better manage your device fleet, reach out. Go to esper.io or follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at esperdev, at E-S-P-E-R-D-E-V. Thank you for listening. I'll see you on the next episode of There's a Device for That.